Welcome to this aspect of our service. If you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We are last week in our study through the book of Hebrews. Absolutely amazing. Um, Sarah and I, uh, along with Jenny Gill from uh, our, our east location, uh, had the joy of having breakfast with Doug Pollock on Friday morning. Uh, he had flown in, along with his son John, from uh, Cincinnati, which is somewhere in the middle of America, and uh, he had been going for about 24, 25 hours, and we saw him. And uh, so, but it was great. I, I just want to tell you that um, you're in for a treat next weekend uh, at uh, one conference. We had an hour with him over um, eggs benedict and salmon and coffee, and oh, it was wonderful. Um, but just listening to him talk was inspiring. And just listening to him share and, and just his heart for the gospel, his heart for people, his heart for our country is amazing. Uh, one of the things, you might say, well, why is he here now? Well, he's speaking this morning at Rangiora Baptist Church, uh, and uh, he's just ministering down there. I'm part of a network of churches. I chair a network of churches called Living Stones. And so we talked with Doug and took the opportunity to say, how can you actually be a bigger blessing in New Zealand than just coming for the street for our one conference? So he's been in Christchurch today. He is um, holidaying this week, and he's back in Christchurch uh, on Saturday next week with us on Sunday. Monday through the following week, he uh, is uh, ministering up in Auckland at Botany Life Church and Tauranga at Lifestone Church. He's going down to Nelson to Grace Community Church, and he's going to be equipping and training people all around the country, and then he'll be speaking in Nelson the following Sunday before he wings it back to the States. So he's being well used. So pray for Doug, and uh, pray that he would uh, continue to give out. And when we see him next um, Sunday, he hasn't just jumped off the plane. He's been giving out, and he will continue to give out all week. Um, Hebrews 13. This is in your Bible or my Bible, depending on uh, what the statement is. There'll be something along the lines of the last five verses saying benediction and farewell. You know how when you write an email, you know, we used to write letters. You know how when you write an email, you think really hard about the content of it and you craft it and you develop it. And then you get to the end and you go, phew, that's done. And you either write something like, your sincerely regards Cheers, God bless, best wishes, sign off your name. It's like the last thing you do before you hit that send button. You'd think that when it gets to the end of Hebrews with all of the power and the complexity and the wonder of this letter, that the writer of the Hebrews just might have gone, God bless, see you later, you know, say hi to Timothy and a few other people. Well, he does that, but there is such power in two verses that we're going to look at at the end of this book. And they are the most stunning verses. Let me read them to you and then let's dive into it. Verse 20. Now, may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, as we consider these words, as we ponder them and we ponder the magnificence of all that they tell us, Holy Spirit, I ask you'd use me to, to teach to the best of my ability to, Lord, help us understand and grasp all you have for us. Father, I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
you know, the whole message of Hebrews is that Jesus is the better way. And for the Hebrew readers and followers of Jesus, this was such an important message for them. It was, don't give up. Don't go back to your religious ways, but trust Jesus. They were people who had likely been saved out of Judaism, so their life had been made up of a whole lot of religion and ritual and rules and doing a whole lot of things to, to show that they love God. And here this new way, this better way, this Jesus way was to say, trust me, follow me. And when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. That's a phrase that comes through this book so regularly. When you hear the voice of Jesus Christ, don't toughen up, soften up. It was an encouragement to not fall back into old ways of living. The way you used to live, instead to trust him. And when you hear his voice, when you hear his voice through his word, don't harden your hearts. Obey him. Follow him. And following Jesus is this better way to live. To keep your eyes on him no matter how tough it gets. No matter what the cost or what the loss. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Because there is more to life than this world. And as Hebrews 13 verse 14 told us last week, there is an enduring city that is to come. You see, followers of Jesus are more enamored with him than we are with things. It's an encouragement to keep going forward, to keep our eyes on him so that the things, the desires, the allurements of this life grow dim in the light of his glory, in the light of his grace. It's to find our greatest joy and delight in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that relationship with him puts everything else into its proper perspective. And so with all that in mind, we have this benediction, this farewell, this yours sincerely, and there is such power in it. As I said at the beginning of verse 20, now, may the God of peace, then there's a little interjection, you see it there, who brought up from our dead the Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, right? That's, that's just a little interjection. And if we were to actually pull this out and say, what is it that it actually says? What he's saying is, now, may the God of peace equip you with everything good to do his will. That's the essence of it. But we want to dive in and find out about that interjection and find out what it means. The God of peace, well, here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to take you to three passages of scripture, and then we're going to share communion together. Right in the middle of the sermon. Actually, to be more accurate, probably about... 80% of the way through the sermon, right? Just, just so you don't get a little nervous if you think we haven't got there yet. Right? So that gives you a sense of the timing. And it's going to become abundantly clear as to why we do that. So, uh, so there we go. This is where we're on. Are you ready? Great. Peace. Ever been in the situation where there is a lack of peace? Anybody ever been in a situation where there is conflict? Ever fallen out with you know, someone in your family or with a, a friend or even a work colleague where there is just that strife? You know that horrible feeling in the pit of your stomach when you just know that things are not as they should be? It doesn't have to necessarily be bad, it's just not great. Our world is not as it should be. 
Our world is not the way it's supposed to be. And this word peace, the God of peace, the word peace there means the opposite of war and the opposite of strife. It is tranquility, and the tranquility comes, or the peace comes, because there is oneness with God and a sense of divine favor. And the reason for that is this. He is the author of peace. You see, God has created us for a relationship with him. And when we are out of that relationship, things are not as they should be. And peace is the ultimate blessing of creation. Oneness with God is the ultimate blessing of creation. And that will be achieved when Jesus comes again in all power. You know, the first passage I want us to look at is Isaiah chapter 9. And here is this incredible statement, Old Testament prophecy about 700 years before Jesus came. And it says this in verse 5, For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. You know what that says? It says this, The world is not as it should be. There is war. There is strife. There is hatred. There is murder. All of this is systematic, is, is evidence of the fact that the world is not as it should be. There is no peace. And yet straight after that, there is a promise that says that all of this will be burned as fuel for the fire. In other words, that's not the way it's going to be. And here's how. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. Now that, when you think about it, if the promise of God is that there will be no more war and no more hatred and no more strife and there will be peace. And you, like me, would probably go, man, this is going to be a powerful moment. What's God going to do? And the very way that God says I'm going to do it is like this. A child will be born for us. A son will be given. You go, what? Really? And the government will be on his shoulders. The governance of the world will be on the shoulders of this child of the sun. The running of the entire universe will be on the shoulders of the child, of the son. And he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's a prophecy of Jesus Christ. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. You wonder how to do life. Come to the Wonderful Counselor. He is filled with all wisdom. You want to know how we, how this, why this world is the way it is? Well, come to the mighty God, the one who created it all, who sustains it all, who holds it all together by his powerful word. Come to him. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. You want to know what your true identity is? You want to know the family of families? If you feel outside, if you feel lonely, if you feel like you don't belong, come to the eternal Father. He is your heavenly Father and he makes you home. And come to him, the Prince of Peace, the one who will bring peace. Here's how the dominion will be vast and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. The Prince of Peace is coming. He will come and will establish his rule and establish his reign and there will be peace. He is the God of peace. Do you know him? 
It's interesting, the writer to the Hebrews goes on and he says that this God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant. Well, in John chapter 10, Jesus describes himself as the shepherd. He says, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. You know, there's, a, there's such a powerful invitation here. You know, it doesn't matter what religion or creed or faith system or anything else which has gone on. If it's not Jesus, it's not true. It's thieves and robbers. And the reason for that is this. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Yet there is one who has created you. There is one who has made you. And your purpose is to live at peace with God, at oneness with God. And the reality is, is that unless you are in relationship with him, you are following someone or something else. And here Jesus calls that someone else the thief. And the thief only has one purpose, and that is to steal, kill, and destroy. You might say that's three. Wind it all up in one. In other words, if you're not following Jesus, your life is being stolen from you. If you're not following Jesus, your life is being killed, and ultimately your life is being destroyed. And the thieves and the robbers come, and they will just simply use you and abuse you and spit you out at the end of your life, and you'll have nothing to show for it. But Jesus comes that you might have a rich and a satisfying life. Are you following him? He's the good shepherd. But not only is he the good shepherd who gives you this life, as it says a little later on in verse 14 of John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Now, not many shepherds do that. I have other sheep too that are not of the sheepfold. I must bring them in also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. That's talking, Jesus here is talking to a bunch of of Jews and he's saying, you know what? Um, This relationship with God is more than just for the Jews. It's for everybody. And there are other sheep. He's saying, you know what? You don't have a corner on me. You don't have a, a monopoly on me. He said, I'm here for everybody. I created the entire world. People from every tribe and language and people and nation are going to be around the throne. And my job, my calling, my desire is to see every single one of them come. And Jesus goes on and he says, The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I might take it, so I might take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. Do you realize how insane that sounds? If I was God, and just in case you're wondering, I am not, would I come into the world that I've created and say, I'm coming to die? I mean, that's a sign of weakness. And if we think about it logically for a minute, we can control a lot of things in life, but one thing we know we cannot control is death. We can 
mitigate a whole bunch of things. We can do the best we can. We're even trying very hard with, to, to stop sea level rise and all that sort of stuff. And yet, to some extent, that, that might be in our control, and, and that's a whole other topic of conversation. But we, we try the best we can with what we have. But there is one thing that we cannot avoid, and that is death. It comes to every single one of us, and some of us in this room may be facing that sooner than we want. There may be people in our world, in our families, in our, in our lives who, who are facing it sooner than they want, and it's just this big black curtain that we just can't avoid. And Jesus came and he said, I've come to sacrifice my life voluntarily. I've got authority to lay it down. And when I want to, I can take it up again. Okay. If I was going to follow a God, I would want to know that that God had power. I would want to know that that God had more power than I could ever conceive as being possible. And the one thing that I would want to know is, does that God have power over death? Because everything else in life is, you know, you can do and there's all sorts of things that can happen, but if you can get beyond that curtain and then come back and tell me about it, I'm listening. And that's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what God did. He knew that that was the one thing which ultimately equalizes every single one of us. He says, I'm going to show you how to do this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. Just as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits afterwards, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Now, here's the thing. If there is God, and I believe there is, and I know many of us in this room do also, and if that God is worth following, I would want to know that if he is transcendent and eternal, that there is some clear indication that I can trust him for more than this life. Because if all there is is this life, and everything just simply gets chucked back in the box at the end, then we may as well just enjoy life and throw off all restraint and do whatever we want. And you know what? All the faiths of the world, the leaders of those faiths, those religious systems, those beliefs, if you go to every single one of them, the person who set those up is in a box in the ground. The leader of those religions is in a box in the ground, all except for one, and that is Jesus Christ. And that, more than anything else, is one of the most compelling reasons as to why faith in him, following Jesus, the Christian faith, is true. Because he conquered sin and he conquered death. And not only that, he didn't do that to say, well, you know, that I've done it. He said, and you will do it also. That's the whole deal behind first fruit. I grew up in a boysenberry farm. 
and you'd walk down the boysenberry rows at the beginning of the season and it'd all be all these little green hard things that ultimately would become incredibly succulent juicy boysenberries and as you're walking down the row every now and then you'll find one and usually if you go a day too early the first one you take is really sour and you go oh that was a really dumb idea you come back the next day and you find that they've ripened up a little bit more and you take it and you eat it it's the first fruits and what it does, it says, that is incredible, it's magnificent. And as you look down the row, you see a whole lot of green boysenberries and you realise that after you've had the first fruit, there is a whole lot more to come. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the first fruit, it was that there is a whole lot more to come. If you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you are part of that promise. He's the first fruit. And it says there, then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and authority and power, circle back to Isaiah chapter 9. He will establish his rule and his power, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. Wow. Yeah, no other faith can claim that its founder is still alive. And more than that has died and has come back to life. No other faith except Jesus Christ. And you know what's really, really insane? He wants us to remember his death. Now again, think about this logically for a minute. If you or I were setting up some belief system or some religious system, would you want to commemorate what conceivably would look to be the weakest moment of that faith? The death of its founder? And yet every single week is what Jesus gets us to do in communion. He gets us to come together and to take bread and to take juice and to remember that he died. But the amazing thing is this, is that moment of supposed weakness is actually the moment of greatest strength. Because in that moment, he took on your sin and mine and he bought the price back so we might have peace with God because he paid in full the price of our sin. And so we take communion, and we're going to do this in a minute. In fact, I'm get the First Impressions team just to start quietly handing these out. And just take it and hold it while I continue to chat for a little bit. And see, as you hold that bread and that juice, here's what it signifies. It signifies that Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, laid down his life voluntarily for you, he didn't need to. He didn't have to. He doesn't need us. Greatest expression of love, he wants us. Do you realize he wants you? Somebody here this morning, you're going, why would God ever want me? I want to tell you as you hold that bread and you hold that juice, that is the greatest reminder that God wants you. He gave his life for you. And as you hold that, you also now bring to mind this incredible fact that not only does he want you, but he died for you. And not only did he die for you, but he rose again for you. And in doing so, he secured your life. The bread reminds us of that. And he secured forgiveness. The juice reminds us of forgiveness. And not only that, not only has he died for you, not only has he risen for you, but he promised he's coming again for you. And the God of peace is coming. 
And he will come with all power and with all authority and with all might and with all rule. And when he comes, he will make all things new. And as it says in that verse in Corinthians, he will reign till he puts all enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be abolished is death. And you can trust him even with your death. Do you trust him? Do you know him? His name is Jesus. He is your redeemer. He is your savior. He is your friend. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Take a moment. You and him. The God of peace. The great shepherd of the sheep who conquered sin and death for you. You have life. You have forgiveness. Remember him. Celebrate him. Let's share that together now. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now may he equip you. He saved you. Now may he equip you. That, that word equip is a wonderful word. It's the, it's the key word in the second half of this passage. It literally means to, to put into its appropriate created condition to make you perfect. It, it's used in a number of different ways in the New Testament, and it's, it's just a normal word of everyday life, but when the writer to the Hebrews uses it, it brings three powerful pictures. I'm going to take you through those three just briefly, and then we're going to respond. And as we go through these three, I, my sense is that the Holy Spirit will be just calling on some of us to say, you know, like, that's you today. That's me today. I need that. And we're going to spend time worshipping and just time to minister. And we have our prayer team here and we'd love to, to pray with you. And you'll, you'll see why as we go through these. You know, the first way that this word equip would be used would be if you, if you broke your arm. And you went to the doctor and you said, I've, I've broken my arm and it's, it, it's sore needless to say, then what the doctor would do is they would equip your arm. They would mend it. They would set it. They would return it to its appropriate created condition. They would put it back into place. You know, 
As you come to Jesus, he wants to equip you. He wants to mend what is broken. He wants to set back into its appropriate condition your life. You know, he does that firstly by restoring your relationship with him. Are you distant from God? Are you far from God? Maybe, maybe this morning you're here and you've never actually surrendered your life to Jesus. As you come to him, he wants to equip you. He wants to restore that relationship, that broken relationship you have with him. Maybe for you this morning you're here and you have a relationship with Jesus, but it's broken. You've wandered away. You've done some things. You've thought some things. You just, you're in a place where you and, you and Jesus, you're distant and it's broken. It's not the way it should be. Come to him. This morning he wants to mend that. Maybe for you that brokenness is around just things that have gone on in life and you just sense a brokenness physically or emotionally or mentally or spiritually and, and yet you're wounded. Come to him, the God of peace who wants you to be at one with him. He wants to heal you this morning. Yeah, the second way that this word equip would be used as if there was a ship back in the day and it was in port and it was being prepared to go out on a sea voyage and they would say, and I've completely forgotten the word again, it's Salvador's. Stevedores, there we go. Stevedores? Stevedores, right. <laughs> Not Salvador's, that, that's, uh, yeah, okay, I won't even go there. And they would make sure that the ship is ready to go. They make sure there's all the, the food for the journey is there. There's enough food in the, in the, the hold so that the, the sailors and the passengers actually can eat while they're at in sea. They make sure that the spare parts, if something was going to go wrong, you can't just jump off and go and get something. You've got to make sure everything's on the boat while you're out in the middle of the ocean. They make sure that there was enough gear, the weather gear for the, the hot times and the cold times, for the sun and the rain, and they just make sure everything is in the boat. They make sure that the masts are strong and are sturdy so that if there was a storm that was coming, they wouldn't collapse, they wouldn't fall over. They'd make sure the sails were prepared. They'd make sure that the hull was reinforced so that the stresses of the voyage, if there was a storm that came along, that would not sink the ship. All of those things are summed up by this word. We want to equip the ship. You and I have this long voyage, it's called our life. You and I start the day we're born, we start afresh the day we give our life to Jesus Christ. You may know with crystal clarity what day that is. You might be like me where I know is somewhere around probably five or six I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. Whatever that date is, whatever that moment is, you start this life following Jesus from that moment on. And the great shepherd wants to equip you. He wants to make sure you have the resources within you so that you can last the distance. And he gives us his word to do that. And you know, if you're not putting this in there, you're, you're going to starve. Because it's a long journey, your life. And if the last time you read the Bible was 
days, weeks, months, years ago, you, you're, at, you're in danger of starving because he feeds us with his word. He equips us with his word. If, if the last time you, you talked with him, you prayed with him, was more than your memory can remember, you're, you're drying up because you're not equipping, you need that fresh filling of his presence and of his spirit. Yeah, if you're coming to church once in the blue moon, if you come to church every couple of months, just yeah, when, it's, when it feels right, if there are better things that you can do with your time, you, man, the, the hull of your life is in danger of weakening. Because the book of Hebrews told us earlier on, don't give up meeting together, but encourage, put courage, put strength into one another. We need each other. Are you being equipped? He wants to equip you. Maybe for you, this this life journey has got some storms coming your way. And you know what? They're tough. You might be facing a storm. There might be things going on in your life where you go, I never signed up for that. I never signed up to have to go through that. I want to tell you, nobody ever does. But Jesus never said, I'll take you out of the storm. What he says, I'll give you the strength to go through it. And this is how he equips us with everything we need to do his will, to follow him. That's the second word. It's follow me. Right? We, we are equipped to come. We're equipped to follow him, to follow him through this life, to do this life with him. You know, the, the third way that this word equipped is used is a, back in the day, the fishermen would be out all night and they'd be fishing. They'd be throwing their nets out and they'd be dragging the fish in. And, and as they do that, what, off, what inevitably would happen would be that the, the nets would get broken. And there'd be small tears in the rope. And, and, and you might say, oh, it's just a little tear. It doesn't really matter. Well, that's fine until you throw it in to try and drag fish in because if there's holes in the net, the fish escape. And so what the fishermen would do is they'd get out there the next day after they've been out fishing at night and they'd lay the net out on a big rock and they'd be quietly and carefully going across all the various knots to make sure it was all together. And where there was a tear, they'd mend it, they'd, they'd fix it up. And if you walked along to them and, and you said to them, G'day, what are you doing? They'd say, I'm equipping the net. I'm making sure it's got no holes in it because I want to go fish. And here's the, the third part of this incredible verse for us where Jesus Our great shepherd wants to equip us. He wants to equip us so there's no holes in our nets so we can go fish for people. That's why we're here. It's to follow him to be a fisher of people. You you might be a little bit like me sometimes. You go, man, I find this difficult. It's summed up. In fact, the whole thing is summed up this. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of people. You might be like me. We go, "I, I get it. I struggle with it. There's people in my life who I want to know Jesus. That's why we're doing one conference next week. That's why we've got Doug Pollock coming who can equip us to be a fisher of people to make sure the nets of our lives that <laughs> take this the right way, that the fish don't escape. But you know there are people in your life, there are people in my life where it's actually inconceivable to us that they would walk away without knowing Jesus. That's the heart. 
And it's not to convince them that our belief structure is better than your belief structure. You know, Christianity, evangelism, I think people call it proselytizing, don't they? Which is a bit of a no-no politically in, in the world in which we live. But actually, we're not proselytizing. We're telling people the creator of the universe loves them. We're sharing with people that that the great shepherd of all, the God of peace, has sorted out the brokenness in their life. And if they would desire to know him, there is a wide open gate. It's him. It's Jesus, the gate. And he wants them. He wants them to have a relationship with him. And you know the amazing thing about it is you and I can't convince anybody. But the Holy Spirit does that work. But you and I are to be equipped so that we can do the best we can and, and we need to be equipped so that the nets of our life are such that there is integrity and that people can meet Jesus through us and, and through us. Let's be equipped. That's why we'll see you next week at one and we'll lean into that and we'll continue to lean into that from this point on. So here's the, here's the application with this I close. I wonder how God wants to equip you this morning. Maybe it is, there is brokenness in your life, come to him. Maybe there is dryness, stress. Maybe the storms of life are there and you just say, man, I'm feeling buffeted and I just don't even know which way is up. Come to him, follow him. Maybe it's that you're dissatisfied with where you're at in terms of your fishing ability. Come to him. So here's what we're going to do. We've got a wonderful prayer team here and there are others of us too. And in a moment I'm going to invite you to stand and then Jamie's going to lead us. We've got time to worship and we're going to do that. But we've also got time to, to minister to one another. And so if for you in any way, in any moment, there has been a sense of, that's me. All you've talked about this morning, or even just a bit of what you talked about this morning, the Holy Spirit is saying, man, that's me. Come and we would love to pray. And we'd love to get around you and do what the church does, which is to pray for one another. So would you stand with me? You know, just as we, before Jamie starts, let me give you this opportunity right here, right now, to say, God, I need you. I'll invite the prayer team just to stand forward and sit there. If there's brokenness which is going on, why not right now just say, God, here I am? And as we wait, just simply come and walk out the front and just allow, allow the team to pray for you. Maybe if, the, if life has just been a little buffeted recently. Maybe if you're scared of death and it's messing with you and you're actually you're spending more emotional energy worrying about that than you know is right. You know, I just wonder if someone this morning here, that's, that's quite crippling for you. Come and bring it to the Lord and say, God, would you help me with that?
because the promises of God are far greater than the fear of death. If that's you, I'd encourage you this morning to come and we would love to pray with you. Maybe you are just simply frustrated. People in your life who don't yet know the Lord and you wish you were equipped. You know, next week will be a great part of that, but even right here and right now, it's just a matter of coming up to one of the team and saying, can you pray for me that I'd be equipped by the Lord and reaching people? And you can say that in code. You can just say, um, my fishing's not going too well. And we'll know what you mean. But let's seek the Lord. Let's ask for more of him. Let's follow him. And the team are here. They'd love to pray as we worship together.